Hey people, Shaman Hawk here. You know, I want to talk a little bit about the climate change, just my thoughts on it. I mean, I've been, been an environmentalist since I was a kid, really, back in the early 70s and late 60s. You know, I just love the forest, and one of the most heartbreaking things I would see, you know, even as a kid, is walking through some beautiful forest and see piles of trash. Um, I lived in Northern Virginia for a while when I was a kid, and, <clears throat> you know, one of the things was... We all, you know, like all boys do, want to go down to the creek, the creek, we said it in West Virginia, and you just explore. And our parents were so adamant about don't get in the water. We couldn't understand. You could see right through it, it looked clear. You know, sometimes it was a pretty green or something because somebody flushed antifreeze, through, you know. Um, and the Potomac River was in between... Uh, Arlington, Virginia, and Maryland, and uh, we'd go down to the river, and people were like, don't get in the water, don't swim, don't don't get it splashed on you, <laughs> it's that bad, and uh, it was actually with a bunch of women that pushed President Nixon to really clean that up, he likes to take the credit for it, though, so it was always, I just didn't understand why, so I was always putting away my trash, and I was always taking care of things, trying to encourage other people to do it, like, oh, well, no, it just goes into nature, no big deal. Well, yeah, it goes into nature, but not in a good way, you know, so, um, you know, so speaking of just the trash, but then here I am now in central Texas, and like in many rural areas, they don't have any uh recycling programs to speak of and the trash pickup is kind of rare you know this this town here um well, I got, we got here four years ago it was like 930 people now it's a little over 6,000 it's growing that much and uh there's all kinds of things that have a negative impact on the environment from fast growth like that or any kind of actually you know developed growth so we have to take a lot of trash to the landfill. We have one closed-in trailer that's our trash trailer. And with a family of uh, uh, nine, here with three adults and six kids, you know, as much as we try to keep the trash down, we still end up filling up that trailer every couple months. And <clears throat> there is a trash pickup for 20 bucks a month, you know, or it might be even more than that. Or we can just take it to the uh, the landfill uh, 40 minutes, hour away, and dump it for 40 bucks after like five or six months. So that makes more sense. But you know, like when I lived in Fort Lauderdale, they used to have these incinerators. They would burn it, you know, back uh, back in the 80s. And they wanted to do the recycle program. They were trying to start that. But the fact is that Waste Management was a company that we used to well had a monopoly on trash in a lot of places and you know they uh had a contract but they said you know it was exposed that they were burning the recyclable stuff that people were paying to be part of that program and waste management's like well with our contract it says we can because we have that incinerator is going to operate and if we're not burning trash you know, we're just burning fuel. And so you, they had it to where they, if they didn't have enough trash to burn, they're going to burn the stuff that's supposed to be for recycle. So it all goes back up in the air anyway. Greenpeace, which is an organization I don't have much respect for anymore, but they were the ones pushing against that. 
you know, for a lot of reasons. You know, the, the, if you always just goes up, uh, you know, the city was saying just harmless carbon goes up and becomes, you know, part back into nature. Well, there was one young man that told us all the changes that carbon goes through naturally. You know, when it's sent up in there through smoke and on, people were like, wow, we had no idea. And of course, then too, with Fort Lauderdale, they called it the, the Venice, you know, of America because it's so many canals everywhere. And the canals had to be built to bring up land, uh, coral rock, all right, to be able to build on, to build the houses. That's why the canals were really there, you know, to provide land to build on. And of course, uh, when we, <clears throat> anything that blows down the sidewalk ends up going into a canal. And that ends up going into <clears throat> eventually the waterways or the, the new river in Fort Lauderdale. But this happens in any location. You know, it goes into streams and then bigger creeks and then, you know, rivers and then finally down into the sea. And these plastic pieces, for instance, they last a long time. But it's not just the plastic. You know, it's, it's all kinds of things that end up going into the waterways. You know, into those waterways, we talk about how it ends up into the sea, and you get those big plastic gyres that are out in the middle of the Pacific, middle of the... And they they don't decompose. This is where people have to be really atten attentive to their language. They get broken down by the sun. The sun just destroys all kinds of synthetics. And uh, so that includes paints, um, epoxies, polyesters, polypropylenes, you know, all all the synthetics have broken down into small forms. They never really go away. They just become microplastics. And then we end up eating those, you know, when we're eating the fish and other sea life. And eventually, now I'm hearing that when some of them become so small, they get accumulated into all kinds of uh, uh, other things. You know, it's an interesting thing, too, so I'm speaking of which, it, that I just saw a documentary yesterday saying that now they're looking at honeybees, Honeybees have 70% more aluminum in their system than what would cause Alzheimer's in a human being. You know, so eventually they're making the honey. It's the first thing you'd have to ask, well, does, does it go in the honey as well? You know, if you understand how honey's made. But then we, we totally forget the whole thing about warfare. I mean, I was a Marine tactical vehicle operator and when you lift the hood of anything in the engine compartment it says this vehicle is exempt from all EPA regulations. There is no environmentally sound practices about anything in the transportation mechanisms of, uh, of military equipment. And the same goes for ships. You know, so and any bombs, any ordinances explodes. You know, uh, cleaning fluids <clears throat> you know <clears throat> excuse me so when these the explosives just the manufacturing of explosives are extremely hazardous for the environment and anything alive and then when that transporting those weapons whether under its own power or by a plane or something else that's the exhaust from that is highly highly toxic and when it goes boom you know, everything that it, its own destruction is bad for the environment and everything it destroys starts a chain reaction. So if a missile goes or a bomb goes into a fuel plant, 
and it explodes and ignites the fuel, and that stuff just burns forever. You know, all that. But no one thinks about that, you know, for some reason. And then we go back, you know, the other what, a little while ago with our summer of love and all the riots done by Antifa and, uh, and the BLM people and all that. You know, people that, oh, well, rioting's okay. You know, burning and looting, burn it all down. Well, one fireman told me, he goes, you know, you pick up these little rubber or plastic trash cans. This is the real hazard these days of the firefighter. Because when these things burn, you know, it's like highly, highly toxic. So smoke inhalation is a concern, but not nearly as much anymore as all these deadly chemicals that come from the things that we that get burned in office buildings, in homes, and so on. And you start looking around, there's just so much plastic everywhere. And when it's burning, it's just putting up all kinds of hazardous materials that go up and then eventually fall back down. And then basically, you, with the rain, wind, everything, washes it in back into uh, the, the waterways and eventually back into the seas and so on. Just kind of an odd thought. I, you know, when I moved to Fort Lauderdale back in the oh, mid-80s, you know, there were three reefs offshore, and they all three of them looked like aquariums. There was bright blue, uh, bright colors, lots of life. And within a couple of years, the first reef closest to shore was just dying off, covered in algae. The second one was starting to get the algae. You know, within, I want to say about 15 years, all three of those reefs were just dead. No life on them almost at all, you know. And it happened so fast. And why? As when I was becoming a pilot, I used to go out of executive airport and fly south. And doing that, I'd fly just offshore under about 500 feet. And you could just very, very clearly see through Port Everglades because the current runs north on that side of the Atlantic. And then um, this dark green current coming out and heading north and when you pass that you know the water was more of a clear blue so all the life all the industry everything ended up going into the new river into the canals into the new river and then ended up uh, washing and going north and then finally by the time you get to someplace like new york you know with every you know major um tributary, waterway, estuary, like in the Chesapeake Bay, you know, emptying into the ocean, you know, the water is just so hazardous. You know, I can't believe I used to actually swim in Chesapeake Bay, you know, once I think of it now. But, you know, as a kid back then, you know, that hey, we're going to the beach, you know. You know, I love farming and gardening, but again, all the stuff that goes on to that goes back down into the waterways. It goes down into the wells, you know, I mean, water is affected by wind and gravity. You know, it's just, that's what makes a river flow. And so these lots of snowfall is great for the aquifers, but at the same time, you know, all that leaching is taking everything that can be carried by water down into the aquifers and into the systems and the wells, drinking systems and so on. You know, in this rural area, we have well water, but it goes to a very, very nice uh uh, well system purification system you know i can imagine just drinking that raw that would that could probably create some problems 
And so, but interesting, the same organization, I don't have too much respect for Greenpeace, did an interesting uh, study years and years ago about the biggest, that ended up concluding the biggest polluter is somebody we like to characterize as hairy homeowner trying to take care of his lawn, you know, with uh, companies like Chem Lawn. I mean, Chem Lawn. That tells you all you need to know about that company. And just making grass try to grow in places where grass is just not meant to grow, just so you can have that lawn. And then that gets enforced by homeowners associations, which is just ridiculous. You know, so all the uh, herbicides, pesticides, fertilizers, and all this stuff, you have to spray on these lawns to keep them green and look pretty, you know, or get fined by your homeowners uh, association. And so, uh, again, all that stuff, especially when the homeowner doesn't follow the directions and just going to add a little bit more or whatever and, you know, and put it all out there and it washes off that lawn, down the curb, down the street, into the storm drain system, the canals, you know, creeks and rivers, and eventually all back into the sea. And of course, if lawns are bad, what about golf courses? Those things, when you see them in the after hours being cared for, you know, it's ridiculous. The chemicals that go onto that to make that special grass. It's not just the everyday hairy homeowner favorite. It's special grass for those lawns, for those golf courses, you know. And again, it all goes back into the sea. Watershed, you know, the watershed part. You know, watershed is just like it sounds like. If it rains on your roof, the water is shed from your roof and goes down to wherever, wherever gravity and inclination takes it. So we start looking at that and another source of pollution. You know, it's, oh, I want to say 281 cubic inches into a gallon of water. And you start looking at a roof. It's real easy to fill up, you know, on, let's say, a three or four inch rain like we commonly get in Florida fill up hundreds of gallons of barrels, you know, for water. You know, in some places that's illegal to catch rainwater, you know, or whatever. But again, you know, all the oxidation that happens from the roof is the first pollutant to go into the, onto the ground, you know, from the rain. And then it mixes with everything else that's on the lawns or the gardens and so on, and eventually goes back in, like we said, that long trip back to the sea. The same thing, and civil engineers really have to think of a problem when they start building lots of roads, parking lots, and things like that, because they no longer have percolation. The percolation is when the rain hits the bare ground, goes through the grass, the leaves, the loam, and eventually works its way down, either up into roots of plants, or finally escapes all that and goes down into the aquifer. And so <clears throat> anything that comes from the roof from the roads, from the parking lots. It gets up into the aquifer or goes down into the streams and rivers and so on. So people say, well, what about well, the water hits the road, so what? Well, the water's hitting the road that has a slick on it. That's why roads can get dangerous right after long periods of dry spells with a little bit of rain. It mixes with the oil from the exhaust, oil from dripping from engines, grease, residue, and also tire residue because that's what wears down the tire going down the road 
turning, braking, stopping, skidding, and just the motion itself. You know, little bits of deposits come off of those tires. That's why you have to replace your tires. Where does it go? It goes on the road. And when it rains, it goes down back into the streams and rivers and so on, and eventually into the sea. And so bridges, dam- and then so because there's no percolation, they have to make a place to catch the water shed that comes from these roads, roads bridges, um, parking lots, right-of-ways, all these things, because the water wants to go someplace, and they don't want it to sit on the road, so it'll go into these, like, ponds that you'll see in clover leaves and so on, and those places are highly polluted. And then, because they can't go anywhere, a lot of them, you see that, and this is where the, a lot of the cities or counties get away with, well, we created a, uh, a, a wet space, you know, a wetlands, you know, they, oh, okay, it's just a canal beside the road, and they can, uh, you know, figure up how many acreage it is. We created X amount of acres of wetlands, you know, for wildlife. No, you did that because you had to, okay? And so these areas become highly polluted, so if they just sit there, then they go down into the aquifer, and if they run off someplace, like if you're in a higher altitude, then it's got to go through a longer journey eventually back to the sea. Now, for all you people that's really into the electric vehicles, that's nice and all, but here comes two other things that are really uh, bad for the environment from that. From the first thing is, it's still a car. It's still a vehicle. So it's still going to contribute to the pollution that comes from the wa- watershed. So at least the tires, if nothing else. If there's any other fluids or leakages and things like that, then yeah. If the batteries catch fire, yeah, now it goes into the air. If it catches fire and drips on the road, yep, same thing. But the other part about it that's really hazardous, and this is something I started learning about as a kid living in, you know, West Virginia. That's my uh, my family's from West Virginia and Pennsylvania, and they did lots of mining. You know, the steel belt, the rust belt. And you have something called acid mine drainage. When you're exposing stuff, that hasn't been exposed for a long, long, long time, you know, uh, in the earth, and there's mixed water with it, you get acid mine drainage. And this is highly toxic chemicals that come back out of the mine, of the roads that go to the mine, and all kinds of other things that eventually go back into the waterways. You know, um, you know, looking at all the... Uh, the mining going on for electric vehicles and so on is happening in the Congo, not just as a pollution there, but at the same time, you know, it's just all kinds of stuff. It's just bad treatment of human beings in general. So when we have to look at the environmental stuff, we have to look at the climate change, we have to look at the big picture because politicians and corporations look for tax breaks and laws and things like that, and they just tell the people this one thing, these catchphrases, and the people give up the standing ovation. Oh, we're saving the world, we're saving the seas, we're saving... No, you're really not. You know, and this is the thing. It really needs to be thought out completely, critically. If you're really that concerned about the environment and saving the planet and so on, you have to consider all these other things that I mentioned and many, many more. I'm trying to don't want to go over 20 minutes here, you know, but you can see how much that I just relayed to you, the the public, in just you know 20 minutes. 
See, so, but all of these have their big issues. Each one of these things that I listed just quickly has a huge impact. And these things aren't going to change anytime soon. You know, not in a, in a holistic way. So this is why we, the people, who are always the ones to pick up the pieces of anything that happens, we are the ones that have to provide the complete thought, the complete action, and we are the ones that have to demand, not request and suggest, demand by, by consequence of not voting for the same person again, demand that these things be considered and maybe we need to come up with the plan and we present it to them and we tell them this is what you need to do what am i doing personally you know i'm still working on building my boat to go back into the waterways to you know clean up things you know because it's i'm still a diver you know at 64 years old i go forward to going back to florida and diving and yeah with a lot of my environmental work environmental work is still picking up trash and taking it to recycle centers or any place else, but at least it's not getting caught up in, you know, dolphins, sea turtles, fish, and, and things like that. And just to helping to bring people awareness. You know, it's a green boat, no engine. You know, last night I was sewing up 10-ounce uh, canvas for sales, and that might be the last chapter of my life, and, you know, I consider that to be a good thing, you know, doing environmental work. People, if you like this, if you if it struck a nerve with you, you know, you go ahead and like, uh, subscribe, share, you know, uh, do whatever. But let's make this a team sport, team human, and get this word out there and and um, see if we can get some positive results. Catch you guys later.